0: The night sky, and if you think about the night sky, if you live in the city, uh, you know what it's like when you get out in the country, or you go to the lake, or you're in the mountains or something like that, and it gets dark, and you look up at the sky, it's a completely different experience, right? That dark night sky, but are we going to get to the point where we completely eliminate that? Because we've got so much junk up there. That's what we're going to talk about with Richard Green, who's an astronomer at the University of Arizona. Richard, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me this morning, Shay. This is is a concern among astronomers, right? Just the fact that we are flooding the environment with so many things that the night sky is going to be changed uh, dramatically.
1: Well, it is because astronomers used to have the expectation that you could point a telescope at some dark spot and open the shutter and get an exposure of the sky coming from the universe. And now it's becoming more and more likely that that's going to have one or more streaks of misdirected sunlight from one of these satellites passing overhead. And so that itself is a concern. The other There's a diffuse glow in the sky which comes from the molecules in the atmosphere itself, but um if there's a, a collisional runaway, if it's like some, a massive pileup on a freeway and there's a bunch of space debris that gets generated, then those little particles scatter light in all directions. And that would actually start brightening the entire sky. And so we align with people who care about space traffic management that don't want to get it so crowded up there that <laughs> things start bumping into each other.
0: And it's primarily private industry that's doing it at this point, right?
1: So that's been the big transition. There's a there's a group called the Atlantic Council that mostly does like defense analysis, yeah. but they put out a very interesting report last year that said that we basically are making a transition and and since Sputnik, it's been most, space has been mostly used for scientific exploration and for a handful of military satellites looking down. Um, and now we're on this transition where space is, real-Earth space is going to be intensively used for commercial activity. Right. And, and at the moment, that really is very lightly regulated. So it's kind of first come, first served.
0: Do they show any interest in working with you on this? I mean, obviously they know it's important to not have their machines crashing into other people's machines or their own, Um, but in terms of the night sky and just sort of trying to have some sort of semblance of order in space, are they on board with you at all?
1: So far, they have been cooperative. So SpaceX, with their Starlink constellation, is sort of the first in place. And when this problem was pointed out to them, Elon Musk said we didn't intend to mess up astronomy, and so they are in a unique position in that they manufacture their own satellites. So they have been experimenting with ways to make those satellites reflect less sunlight down into the mirrors of telescopes, and in particular... They, they now launch all their satellites with a sunshade on them that, for most viewing angles, cuts the apparent brightness of the satellite down by a factor of two or three, which okay. is a big help. And they also have said, yeah, we understand that just after we launch them, they're particularly bright, and so they maneuver them to appear on edge so that they have a minimum mirror area looking down on the Earth. So they have been wanting to take a role as industry leaders in trying to do the right thing. So far, OneWeb, which is the big operation um, based in the U.K., and uh, Amazon Kuiper have followed suit in saying that they intend to be fully cooperative with this. And Telesat, one of interest to you guys, um, has also participated, you know, sitting down with astronomers and developing a sort of best practices document saying if, if industry intends to be good corporate citizens here, what should they do? And tell us that signed on to that document. So 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 far so good. So far there has been the intention to cooperate. Now we haven't bumped into their profit limits, you know, saying, yeah, <laughs> yeah we intend to, but this is way too expensive for us. So, you know <laughs> that's that that limit hasn't been tested just yet.
0: Ultimately when we talk about how it interferes with what you do and other astronomers do. What's at risk here? What, what what are we talking about?
1: So I'll be the first to give you an honest answer that we're just getting over the shock of what's happening and and need to sit down and really start doing an analysis. So you know what we can predict with pretty high accuracy is how many streaks there'll be in a picture, how wide that streak is going to be, so how much of the image got got blasted. You know we know those things. is harder for us to say at the moment is how did that impact the science that was supposed to come out of that image or the discovery results. So let me give you a big example. Um, um, Many governments and the United Nations care deeply about being on the lookout for asteroids, chunk of rock, that Mm -hmm. could impact the earth and cause a natural disaster. And so there are several networks of telescopes that scan the sky, and particularly in twilight and at relatively low in the sky is when you catch these rapidly moving things that might be inbound. And one of those surveys already sees an exponential increase in the number of streaks in their pictures from satellites because you're looking low in the sky at twilight and the Earth's satellites are also very visible. They predict that, on average, if SpaceX drills out Starlink to full extent, there'll be like four streaks in every single image. Wow. What we want to know is are we then gonna how many inbound asteroids are we gonna miss because of that? And that's the that's the research that now needs to be done to answer that question. I can give you another example if you want. Yeah please uh, yeah Okay, so it's really cool science and that is One of the biggest new international projects is called the Vera Rubin Observatory, and it's the ultimate wide field camera. It's got a a huge field of view, three degrees on the sky, you know, so six times the diameter of the moon, and it's got a three gigapixel camera, three billion pixels compared to your, you know, your iPhone. It's pretty impressive. And so they will get streaks all the time the question because it's such a wide field the question and so here's one of the things their one of their goals is to find out how much dark matter there is in the universe. And we don't know what dark matter is. It makes gravity, it doesn't make light. So the way you detect it is by seeing how the gravity bends light and stretches the shapes of these beautiful spiral and and oval galaxies farther away. And it distorts them, If, if there's a concentration of dark matter, it changes their shapes just a little bit. So they have a very subtle package of of fancy computer code that looks at an image and sees these subtle distortions of the shapes of the galaxies around a place where there might be dark matter. Well, now you put a long linear streak yeah. all the way across that image and then mask it off. Even if you mask it off, the question is, what does a long linear feature do to your automatic searching program that's looking for distorted shapes. For sure, it's going to have everything the wrong shape right near that streak, but does it propagate halfway into the image so you lose a whole bunch of the sky for this search for dark matter? And again, that's just being investigated to say, you know, do you just lose the streak or do you lose, you know, a quarter of the image or do you lose the whole image? You know, what, what's the impact? So we're just now coming into that stage of deeper understanding.
0: Yeah, exactly. so I mean we're just at the beginning of this. We're going have to, we don't even know exactly what the final outcome will be here.
1: Yes. So, you know, there's one bit of international law that some countries are very good about in considering environment, and that's what's called the precautionary principle. Now, I can tell you our United States does not do that, but the principle <laughs> is if there's potential harm, you hold off taking an action until you understand more deeply what that harm might be. And so, you know, we would love that principle to at least be thought about as, you balance the benefits of the satellite constellations with their impacts.
0: Yeah, I mean, that seems like a reasonable approach. <laughs> Richard, thank you so much for the insight. I appreciate you joining us today.
1: I appreciate your calling me up. Thanks a lot. Yeah, you
0: bet. That is Richard Green, an astronomer at the University of Arizona. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. I have this vision in my head of like a, uh, almost like if there was a net strung over the night sky with all these different, I mean, they're talking about tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of these satellites that are going up. And what do we lose with that? I mean, it's not, I imagine in some places there are people that still use the night sky for navigation. I can't imagine there's that many, especially with GPS. So are we replacing the stars and navigating that way with GPS? But you know, what else do we lose? As he said, with monitoring for, all, I mean, technology moves so fast, it's good to see they're at least talking about it. Like he said, um, trying to play catch up though. That's what always is the situation with technology.